In the cozy heart of North Carolina, as Christmas bells ring their tune, triad families decorate and dream of a home they hope to buy soon. They are tired of paying rent, but have been too scared by the news. Less homes for sale and higher interest rates gave everyone the blues. But as we go into the new year, there's an opportunity for joy as a new home in 2024 is on Santa's wish list for every girl and boy. Rates are lower and homes are selling. The triad is quite hot. The Sharp Mortgage Team will talk to you with great care and thought. Even if you are not ready today to take the next step in your life, we know that life can change quickly for a husband and wife. There is no obligation to talk to our local team about your dreams. No stress at this time of year. It's as easy as it seems. Celebrate Christmas knowing you are well on your way to build beautiful traditions and magic for future holidays. The Sharp Mortgage Team raises a toast to your family's festive cheer, whether you're ready now to buy or waiting till next year. A house truly becomes a home when filled with love and holiday songs. Christmas 2024 in your new home is where happy holiday hearts belong. This is the Triad Podcast Network. I'm Algernon Cash and you're locked in. It's been a fairly busy election season, not as busy as it's going to be next year, but we still had some really, really important races, municipal races that I've been trying to keep my audience informed about. I, you know, we had Mayor um, Jason Hayes, who um, won re-election in um, Lexington. We had him on a couple of weeks ago. And um, today I am so thankful to be joined by Mayor-elect Cyril Jefferson, who just won election over in High Point. Um, Mayor-elect Jefferson, thank you for locking in with me, man. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on, Algernon, and looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, I am too. I am too. I'll share with my audience because I I do know a lot of elected officials, but you and I have actually never met privately or off air or anything. And so I'm going to be learning today right along with my audience. I'm I'm really um, excited to just learn more about you, your vision, your platform, and sort of how you got here. I know my audience will appreciate you spending some time with us and just helping us to be more informed about what's happening in the in the big city of High Point. Um, but, you know, I always like to remind folks, I mean, you know, um, Mayor-elect, sometimes these off-year election cycles, when we're focused on municipal races, people don't always pay attention. Um, you know, it, it seems like every four years, everybody gets pretty excited, you know, about the presidential race. But I, I, I always want to remind people and want to remind them again today, Sometimes these municipal races are some of the most important races that you can follow. Uh, Mayor-elect Jefferson is going to have a much greater impact on your day-to-day life, um, whether it be job creation, quality of life, housing, all these things that are important to us. He's going to have a much better, big, bigger impact on that than the president or your senator um, and some of these larger races that we get so excited about. So I really think this is going to be a great conversation, um, and I thank my audience for locking in. Um, you know, Mayor Leg, just to sort of kick it off, man, I mean, you, you know, making the decision to run for mayor, that's a big decision. I know you've got a family. Um, I actually saw your family. I saw you and your family one day at the food hall. Um, y'all were outside having lunch, and um, Rebecca McGee actually pointed you out to me, so I I, I did see you. Um, that's a big decision. What, what inspired you to want to lead the city of High Point? Well, I'll tell you a lot of what inspires me to do work. Um, not just in this capacity as the mayor elect of High Point, but as a city council member, as a business owner, as a uh, former educator, a lot of that I think is inspired first and foremost by my faith. Uh, my faith helps me have values in which 
uh, service to community and wanting to ensure that the gifts and talents and quite frankly, the blessings of resources that the good Lord's given me and my family, we want to be able to ensure that we can give back. And uh, I mean, to your point, no one undertakes doing this without considering how much it's going to take in terms of time and energy and sacrifice. But uh, we've seen a lot of great things happen here in High Point, Algernon, where we've been growing our local economy. Uh, we've seen our violent crime numbers go down. Uh, we've made key investments in infrastructure and housing. We've attracted big fish such as uh, Carolina Core FC, the new soccer team that's here. A lot of economic development announcements that you've probably seen and been a part of. Those are things that show us that High Point is on the ascension. And that trajectory is the one that requires leadership to not just be in touch with those big pieces, but understand it from a ground level. Uh, as someone who grew up here, who graduated from Andrews High School, who's raising my family here in the city, I've got roots. And uh, for me, my stake in it, my incentive is to ensure that the city that I call home, that my family calls home, that my business calls home, is one that is bearing fruit on all sides. And I'm very proud and excited that we get to do work to help move it forward. Now, are you are you a native of High Point? You you born there or? So I was born in a small city called Utica, New York, which is okay. upstate New York. So right now, if you were there, you'd be about knee deep in snow already. Uh, but my family relocated here when I was younger. Um, and then um, when, when my mother remarried, we relocated here to High Point. And uh, I've been here now um, since I was in high school. So um, as I said, graduated from Andrews High School is where I met my wife. At the time, we were just friends in school, but we grew up together as teenagers, went off to college, then came back home and, and connected then. So, No, that, that's a great story. Um, and um, I, I, I appreciate your passion, not just for High Point, but also for the entire Triad region, because I, I think we're doing so great here. Um, you know, so many of the communities, Greensboro, High Point, Lexington, even Asheboro. Um, I mean, there's so many positive things happening in the region. Um, and I'm, I'm certain you're going to make some some additional contributions to that during your, your term and future terms. You, you know, your predecessor, um, Jay Wagner, uh, Mayor Wagner, um, I've, I've known him for a very long time. I met him many years ago when he was on council. Um, I've actually used him as an attorney. I mean, so I'm very familiar um, with Mayor Wagner. You know, he he endorsed your opponent, um, Victor Jones. He he thought that maybe um, Victor had a better vision for the community. Why do you think you and Mayor Wagner may have been a little bit divided on how you see the future of High Point? You know, I'll actually say, Algernon, I don't think we were that divided. I don't I don't think he and I see High Point too uh too differently from each other. I think ultimately both of us recognize the importance of a good, strong local economy. Um, we also recognize that in order to do that, the secret sauce to any successful venture is partnership. And so public-private partnerships here within our local government um, are so integral to how we move forward. And those are things that we agreed on. And heck, if you look at um, the business and, and decisions we made on council as an elected body, I mean, if we took 100 votes, 98.9% of those votes were unanimous, if not 99 plus percent. Um, every so often we have those votes where we may disagree and that that's just life. No human, no two humans are going to agree on everything. Um, but I, I I don't know that I say that, that he and I see things very differently. Uh, granted, we may be from different parties and, um, and and in some ways, some of our approaches to things could be a little different. Um, but if, if 
if you're asking me why that's the case, I I don't know that I can speak to, to, to what's on the mind of Mayor Wagner. I know I'm grateful for the work he's done as our mayor um, to be able to champion a lot of causes to move our city forward. And I'm hoping that the great momentum um, that has been not only under his leadership, but leadership of mayors in the past, that we can con continue that going. Um, and I actually, I feel very confident that the vision that many of us have shared on council these past several years is a vision that we will uh, continue to fulfill. Now, I, I should know this, but I don't. Was was your race nonpartisan or, or or are they partisan races over in High Point, like in Winston? They're, they're nonpartisan. They are. They are. OK. OK. But but yeah, I, I, I know even in those nonpartisan cycles, I mean, people still some kind of way pay attention to party. I You know, I always like to say, Mayor, look, I, I, I don't think either party has a monopoly on good ideas. And, um, you, you know, I don't, I don't think Republicans or Democrats know how to fix potholes better than the other ones or make sure the police shows up on time or the, the yeah. trash gets picked up when it's supposed to. And I, I'm a huge advocate and I, I would love to see this actually happen across the state. I mean, there's some a lot of communities that have went to these nonpartisan races, but I would love to see a bigger adoption of nonpartisan races, especially at the local level, whether it's city council, county commissioner, school board, especially school board. I, I Again, I, I think school board races should be about kids and making sure you got adequate schools that are performing well, not necessarily are you Republican or Democrat. But um, that, that's always been something I'm pushing on my friends um, in the state legislature. I, I think we should have more of these local nonpartisan races. You know, to your point, I, I, I did witness a lot of the work that Mayor Wagner did, um, you know, throughout his terms. He, he really made downtown revitalization really, really important. Um, you know, I, I know he's always talked about trying to diversify downtown so that it's not so largely dependent on the furniture market. You guys got that beautiful ball stadium now and stocking grain and Congdon Yards and, you know, you know, so many great things happening in terms of downtown. But but you're also still not there yet. What's what's your vision for downtown? How do you plan to go to work in the, the central business district? Yeah. And I appreciate that question, Algernon. I'm actually located right here in downtown as we speak, my office is here at uh, Condon Yards. This is where our team works every day. And in terms of the work of downtown, to kind of talk about what we need to do to keep it going forward, it's just to do a little bit of level setting in terms of why downtown revitalization was enacted to begin with. Um, anytime a city has the most activity going on outside of its core, where it's growing, there's demand for investment, and it's in your suburbs or outer rings of your city, Ultimately, that's just a recipe um, for you to have dilapidated um, properties where you have property uh, values beginning to decrease because there's not demand to go there. Your developers want to build in these sort of outer rings, but that puts stress and strain on your infrastructure because now you begin to have this urban sprawl. Um, you're not leveraging your resources most appropriately in terms of fire and police. Your water and sewer and electrical utilities are pretty much centrally nestled right in the core of your city, and you're not even taking advantage of them. Mm. So ultimately, uh, before we started this revitalization effort, and, and, and I try to break it down this way because some folks think our downtown investment was about you having a great time on a Friday night. And while that may happen for some folks, the truth is, if we had not done this, property values in our city would have continued to decrease. And as a result, as those property values decrease, we also know that means government services begin to decrease. So when people talk about, you know, the potholes that you mentioned before, while we've got them in our city and we're investing in improving our infrastructure and roads in so many places, 
If your property values are decreasing because there's no demand for development in the core of your city, you're going to have even more potholes. Mm. Your water is going to be at a threat in terms of its quality. Your public safety issues are going to go up and you're not going to have the kind of uh, resources you need to attract industry here. So then your economy starts to fill it and all in all, quality of life just begins to decline. And so when you talk about what we need to do here in terms of furthering the work of downtown core city revitalization, it's ultimately ensuring that we can generate demand. What we're trying to do here as a government is not take the place of private sector, but be a catalyst Mm. that incentivizes um, private sector wanting to come be involved in what's happening in the core of our city. If we do that, we'll better leverage our existing infrastructure in our core, which ultimately will drive down the cost of some development. If I could, Algernon, I want to speak just briefly um, to one major piece that we're feeling, not just in High Point, but throughout the entire Carolina core region, the triad, and all across the state and country, quite frankly, and that is housing. When you talk about our issues with housing, quite frankly, our supply is not keeping up with our demand. And any one of us who have taken microeconomics, macroeconomics, the first thing you learn about is that law of supply and demand. And where demand ultimately outpaces supply, you're going to have scarcity. Prices are going to go through the roof. And ultimately, what we need to do is ensure that we have the supply to keep up with that demand. And how do you do that in a way that can be somewhat cost efficient? Well, when you got infrastructure in the core of your city where you should be having 25 units of development per acre and you're currently sitting at nine units per acre, Mm. that is existing infrastructure that's not being utilized. What that means, there's an opportunity cost there. We're wasting money by not having development in our core. And so if we want to improve the issues regarding housing, we want it to be more affordable. We can't just simply talk about affordable housing and projects and things of that nature. What we have to talk about is how do we make development more efficient for the developer so then the end user pays less than what they do for rent and mortgage and so on and so forth. And so the work we're doing right now for revitalization that is to generate that demand we talked about before ensures that we can provide those good government services efficiently, give a certain quality of life, attract investment, do some more housing development, leverage our existing infrastructure, and hopefully uh, improve life for all high pointers. This time of year, people like to make plans for what they want to accomplish. Maybe your focus in 2024 is buying, selling, or investing in real estate. Maybe it's purchasing your first home or building wealth for your family. Whatever your goals are, the agents at The Ginther Group can help. It's never too early to begin working with Blake Ginther and his team, who have been a trusted resource to the triad community since 2010. To reach Blake and his team at The Ginther Group, just visit theginthergroup.com or give them a call, 336 283 8689. You know, Mayor Elect, I love your passion and um, I, I love where you're going with this. You know, I, uh, I'll back up a little bit. I used to be the CFO over at JNS Cafeterias, did that for several years. And, you know, we had a big cafeteria out at Palladium. And, um, you, you know, as COVID set in and just the shift in trends around food and beverage, um, we ultimately um, shut that place down and sold the building. There is a restaurant, um, two restaurants, is actually going to open back up in that building. But but even when I was at JNS, you know, we had our office over um, in in the more central part of High Point, like off of I think Main Street. But you know, you, you we watched a lot of that development go in that East Chester corridor, you know, and and heading out towards Greensboro. And to your point, I mean, you, you, you we just didn't see the same kind of development happening within the core city. I think some of that has really changed here lately, which I think is extremely positive. I totally agree with you. 
you know, anytime you can see development in the core city, that's going to mean that's just better for the, the city itself um, in terms of being able to retain, expand its tax base and then have revenue available to do some of the investments you're talking about. You know, Mayor Wagner and I actually was a part of the North Carolina Leadership Forum together last year. Um, and, and really what that is, is we meet for a one year period and every year we sort of debate a particular issue. Um, years ago, I was a part of the cohort and we talked about energy here in our state. But this last cohort, we actually talked about housing. Um, and that's something that we spent a lot of time on. I know here in Winston-Salem, where I'm at, um, we have a deficit of around 10,000 housing units right here in Winston-Salem based on the demand that we're seeing. I'm unaware of what that deficit might be in High Point. But you, you talk about the core city and it, it's sort of like a chicken and egg game, right? Like, you know, housing developers don't want to come until they have people. But but then the retail and some of the other kind of commercial businesses, they don't want to come until there's more housing. How do you how do you sort of overcome that? What 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 incentives or how do you really start to attract developers to to really wanting to build in that core city area? Yeah, I mean, to your point, the sort of chicken and egg that goes with it, you know, what comes first? Do you have people who live in your downtown, which then attracts, you know, some of the other development, which is, you know, restaurants and office and retail, so many other things? Or do you put those things first and hopefully housing comes well, what we've tried to do is ultimately through that public-private partnership model we talked about before is say, who can we attract to the table to be involved in all of these lanes? And ultimately, that means sometimes we're going to leverage some government resources to make that happen. And this is where, you know, some folks, depending on, you know, maybe which side of the aisle you're on or just what school of thought you feel in terms of how government uses financing. Some people say, hey, government should just be using resources for potholes and for my water and for police. And the thing is, as I said before, until government found a way to catalyze growth in the core of our city, we were going to see those property values decline and we were going to see those quality of government services decline as well. And so we had to make the decision, do we only care in the short term of what we do with government resources, which is the potholes, the public safety, the water, or do we think long term here and say, what is the real threat? And ultimately, government um, has to be the one entity that's not just thinking about the next quarter of business. Government has to think, can we be here for the generation that comes and the generation after that and the generation after that? Government has to ultimately be thinking within these sort of increments of, of decades at a time. And if you're thinking of decades at a time, then that means when I'm 50 and 60 years old, how do we remain financially solvent as a government? And the threat that we were seeing long term in terms of those decrease in property values meant that we had to make some key investments. We had to take $35 million and invest it in a multi-purpose stadium. Now, at the time, we had some people saying, who the heck wants to take $35 million of taxpayer dollars to invest in a baseball stadium? What we had to tell people is that it's so much bigger than baseball. The research showed us that as you make investments in those kinds of amenities, it's going to attract private investment. And the bet that we made, Algernon, was that with that investment, with that bond, that, that, that sort of borrowing that we would do, what it would ultimately result in is $100 million of increase to our tax base, mm. which means that we would see $100 million of investment, or we see some kind of property valuation improvement that will lead to that $100 million. And our hope was that we would hit that $100 million improvement mark over a 10-year period after that investment. Well, not only did we hit $100 million, but we hit $240 million in wow. five years. So when you talk about hitting $100 million over a 10-year mark as your goal, our ROI ended up being double what we thought in half the time. 
right? That's four times better than what we thought we'd do. And so what it shows is when you use data-driven solutions, you can leverage government resources to incentivize the kind of growth that you need in your city to ensure you can be healthy both in the short term and long term. And I think that's what we've got to do for housing development. We've got to find ways to partner with developers to attract them back to our core until we generate the kind of demand that makes them want to keep going and keep going and keep going. Then we also have to be creative with our our, our zoning um, policies that we have throughout the city. Many people will talk about um, you know, how, how do you leverage mixed use development? How do you look at having higher density in different areas of the city? How do you ensure that where you have that density, that it's near certain amenities where people can get to food and get to healthcare and get to school and so on, so on and so forth. And so we've got to be willing to be bold and be innovative in terms of how we attract that investment, not only by leveraging government resources to, to incentivize it, but looking at what we're doing in terms of our zoning policies around the city to where we're not keeping folks out of that development, but we're marching on to say, look, come be involved in what we're doing, be a partner with us and growing forward. We can't negate our existing residents and how they feel about their current neighborhoods because people buy homes expecting them to have a certain, you know, a certain environment. If you're in single uh, family zoning and you assume it's going to be like that while, while you moved out there, we can't just shock you and throw up, you know, four and five story apartment buildings immediately. Right. We've got to have a process of chatting with you to make sure that we can work together, create buffers between those developments, look at the traffic impact, right? There's a process to go through, but we have to be willing to develop because ultimately there's no way we sustain the growth that we're having here without that kind of density, without that mixed use, without the kind of approach that can ensure we are focused on growth. Well, if you guys spent 35 million on your stadium, you you got off cheap. We spent around 50 million here in Winston-Salem on ours, but to your point, you, you've seen a tremendous amount of uh, multifamily development spring up around it. Um, I, I actually, one of my partners, Clay Grubb, out of, out of Charlotte with Grubb Properties, he did the link, which is across the street from Truist Stadium here in Winston-Salem. But now you've seen even more development um, change around that that area and, and just a big expansion in the tax base. You also talk about long-term planning, and I, I want to give a shout out to your city manager, Tasha Logan Ford. She came from over here in Winston. You guys got a great, great, great um, um, thinker and smart lady um, in, in that position, and I think she's somebody that can work hand-in-hand with you to, to accomplish a lot of the things you're talking about over the next several years. Um, you know, so I, I appreciate you, and, and I, I also want to comment on what you said about local zoning, because I, I yeah, you know, I work with a lot of developers in my more professional role. Um, you know, I, I raise a lot of private equity for projects and and do those kind of things. And and I've I've often said that you have developers that want to do high density. They they want to do more units. They want to use less land and do more units. But a lot of times it is local policy or local zoning that stands in the way of that being able to happen. And so I I think it's very um, thoughtful. Um, for you to bring up the fact that, hey, we, we need to look at those local zoning policies and make sure that you're not just declining projects that could really be viable for your city. And in terms of also creating density and expanding your, your tax base, you know, I, I do want to bring in, you know, some of the, the development that, that has happened in, in downtown and then obviously some of the development that's happened in the East Chester corridor. Um, you know, some folks like in that Washington Street area would say, hey, you know, we we've been really um, void of any attention and interest over there. There's a young lady named Talisa Ford that really introduced me to some of the issues over in that Washington Street quarter. How do, how do you start to also pull in some of that those areas on the east side and just make them a little bit more inclusive with the vision that you're talking about? 
Yeah, shout out to Talisa and the great work she's done um, as a stakeholder there on Washington Street um, and just work she's done in general around the triad to be a part of strengthening our local economy. Um, to answer your question, Algernon, um, you know, how do we do it? First, let me just kind of break down for some of our listeners. Uh, High Point is home to the poorest urban zip code in the state of North Carolina right now. Mm. So the 27260 zip code is the poorest urban zip code. If you just look at all zip codes in the aggregate, it's the third poorest zip code in all. The wow. only two zip codes in the state four are in rural areas. And, and that's where you don't see as much economic activity. And that's that's kind of to be expected sometimes. So for, for High Point to have the single poorest zip code behind two rural areas, and our state is is pretty telling. So I, I I just try to put that out there when we talk about the work we're doing to invest in that area of town. Um, I think the other point I want to note is I live in two seven two six zero right now, right? The the ward that I represent currently as a council member is Ward One, and a big chunk of it is right inside the two seven two six zero zip code. Mm-hmm. Uh, school I went to, Andrews High School. It's not technically its zip code is just over the line in two seven two six five. Uh, but where I grew up and spent time in five points and playing out there, right, is right inside that same zip code. And so as someone who understands it, who's worked with youth from this area, worked with businesses from that area, I, 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 I'm I, well connected to this. Um, and so when I talk about it, I talk about it not just from this level of government, but from a very personal place, too. But to answer your question in terms of how we do it, I think it's 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 pretty key. Um You'll see investments in uh, key projects related to infrastructure uh, that will result in development that follows it. Right now, that Jamestown bypass that opened up not too long ago, um, that brings a lot of traffic now through the Five Points area, we've already seen as a result of that opening up, within just weeks of that opening up, we saw on the dais a number of folks bringing projects to us, proposals to do new development in areas that were pretty much adjoined to where that bypass comes through our city. Um, and so when you start talking about how can we begin to bring investment back to that side of town, um, infrastructure is always going to play a big role in that. But to be clear, you know, if we have great infrastructure that attracts new investment, that makes new development, but then we see these incredible amounts of uh, uh, cases of displacement where people are having to leave areas and they're not feeling that sort of economic opportunity that comes. Then then in some ways you could say that that we're not covering all the ground that we need to cover. I think part of the work has to say while we're investing in, in the infrastructure and in the buildings and things of that nature, we also have to invest in people. I'll be clear, Algernon, and I want to go on the record saying this. The very best ROI comes when we invest in people. Mm. Government is for the people, by the people. When we do the projects we do, whether it's building stadiums or new greenways or, you know, focus on transportation, all of these things are for people. Well, when we begin to talk about a key uh, thing that we're very proud of in terms of economic development and all the industry we've attracted here, you go sit in any of those conferences and they'll tell you the biggest threat to, to industry right now is the supply of talent in labor market, right? If we don't have people with the kind of skill sets needed to fill jobs, then ultimately we're going to see the slowdown in productivity. And so where High Point is looking to be, uh, I think, forward thinking in it is that we don't just want to do your typical workforce development. 
But we want to be fully integrated, fully holistic, very human centered in our approach to invest in job training that ensures our people are prepared for the jobs that are to come. Because if we do that, not only does it give them that sense of purpose and give them the kind of skill sets that elevates them. Right. But it also says the industry, we are serious about being the kind of environment conducive for your business's growth. And so as North Carolina, number one state in the union for economic development, right? And we've got great transportation and so many things that affects that. Um, the way that we can double down on that is by investing in our people to ensure that they are equipped for those jobs to come. Because ultimately, with all the changes we've seen in technology, I mean, chat GPT and, and AI and just the way it's it's blown the world wide open in terms of the things that, that we're beginning to see people replaced um, in terms of certain jobs and functions. I think we, we've we only hit the tip of the iceberg with that current shift. We have to think about how we invest in our people so that way they're actually ones designing these technologies. They're a part of you know programs that invest in them in terms of information technology, cybersecurity, things of that nature. So that way, um, as new jobs begin to come, not only can they fill those, but we're prepared for the shifts we see in industry and what the labor market looks like. It's time to get serious about your financial future. It's never too early, but it could be too late to get started. And that's oftentimes the hardest part, getting started. How much do I save? Where do I invest? Do I save for college or retirement? How much for each? And who do I talk to about it all? Okay, we'll keep things simple for now and help you answer the last one. We recommend you begin with a local financial advisor. And that's Jennifer Johnson of Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. She'll sit down with you for a complimentary introductory consultation and go over all of your questions. Get started on the path to achieving your financial goals. Visit 3magnoliasfinancialadvisors.com or call 336-701-1600. Get comfortable with your financial future. 3 Magnolias Financial Advisors. Retirement, financial planning, and investments. Securities offered through Satara Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. Three Magnolias Financial Advisors and Satara Advisor Networks are not affiliated. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity. You know, Mayor Elect, I totally agree with you. I, I, I think a lot of times, especially whether, whether it be in High Point, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, when I travel community to community across the state, um, and, and a lot of times some of the poorest people are on the east side of town. Um, I, I do think workforce development is critically important. That's the fastest way to start lifting median income levels in some of those neighborhoods and in those communities. And to make sure that as some of this new development comes that you're talking about, that the same people that grew up there and live there, they'll be able to participate in, in that, that rising wave um, that, that does have the potential to lift all boats. So I, I totally agree with that response. I um, you know, we've talked about housing. We've talked a little bit about the central business district and and wanting to do more development there. What are some of your other top priorities? What should people be looking for once you get sworn in next Monday at five thirty? Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about infrastructure. We've talked about housing. We've talked about our local economy and job training and things of that nature. Um, one of the things we heard while campaigning, and, and I'll tell you, Algernon, this is one of the reasons why I love campaign season. Is because if you do it the right way, campaign season isn't just an opportunity to solicit people's support for, you know, them casting a vote in a ballot box. If you do it well, ultimately, campaign season becomes an opportunity for you to get regrounded in what matters. You can sort of orient yourself in the concerns and the thoughts of your constituency. You can hear from people as they talk with you about the things that either they're very excited about or the things that keep them up at night. 
And what we heard from so many folks, whether it was talking about different things going on, is that people felt there was this disconnect between what was going on and the people who need to be involved in what was going on, right? If you talk about the work we've just done to invest in our downtown, um, I can tell you every small business that's, that's down here knows that High Point's downtown is still some years away from fully flourishing and having organic demand and foot traffic. So what that means is we have to stimulate and generate that demand to get people down there to support these businesses. Well, what happens when these businesses who are doing so well, they're putting out great products, they're putting out great services, the people with disposable income are saying, I had no idea that business was down there. Mm. Right? These businesses are not being patronized and they're not going out of business because they're bad business. They're going out because we still don't have the kind of foot traffic needed. It's kind of mm. a numbers thing, right? You have to have the sort of critical mass and saturation of people for these businesses in the aggregate to be able to float and make it, whether it's a restaurant or retail, whatever. In order for them to be successful, you have to have people in your downtown. And so one example that, that we're beginning to look at is that if we can get more people connected to understand what's going on throughout the city, for example, in North High Point, We've got a whole populace of folks who will tell you they hop right on the highway and go to all types of other cities to patronize mm -hmm. businesses. And don't get me wrong. I, I love that we have good businesses all throughout the triad. But if High Point's got great things going on, we want to say to all those folks in North High Point, hey, come be a part of what's happening here right when, inside our core as well. And we can't just be mad and say, man, no one's coming to downtown. Ultimately, it's not one of those situations where if you build it, they'll come. If you build it, and then market it like nobody's business and give them a reason to think that they should come, people will come. And so what we want to do is get more people connected to what's going on. And what you'll see from this government is an increase in transparency, engagement and communications. Um, and we're, it's not just going to be something that we talk about during campaign season, even some small shifts, some low hanging fruit. For example, our, our meetings when I came aboard, the only way for you to participate in our meetings is that you had to be there in person. And then because of the COVID pandemic and we couldn't have people inside chambers, we shifted to doing some version of audio streaming. Well, when the pandemic was, so to speak, over and we could let people back in chambers, we had the option to choose whether or not we would keep audio streaming. And myself and several folks on council pretty much made the case that said, look, there is a whole wide world of people out there who want to know what's going on in government. I don't see any good reason why we shut down the streaming if we already have the infrastructure in place for it with our equipment, with personnel, they know how to do it. It's, there, there's really no budgetary impact to it just to keep and stand pat. Then we should keep audio streaming. Mm -hmm. And the results we heard from, from, from folks who said that is, hey, I appreciate it. Because when I get off work at 5 or 5.30 and got to go pick my kids up and do dinner, I can turn on YouTube and listen to decisions being made while I'm making mac and cheese for the kiddos, Right. Now we've got a more engaged citizen here in our city who then wants to be involved in your nonprofits. They want to do projects. They want to start businesses. They want to come spend money downtown. Ultimately, as we increase levels of engagement, we will also increase activity and economic opportunity throughout our city. And so one of the low hanging fruit we're going to do is you'll see us actually move to video streaming our meetings. So that way you'll be able to see them wherever you are and you won't have to worry about that level of transparency. We're also having conversations with our city manager and, and the rest of our team to talk about what are more ways that we can be interactive with people. Can, how, how can we bring people into simple processes such as budgeting so they can understand, you know, if you talk to me about potholes and why every pothole in the city filled, I need you to know that as you squeeze on this balloon, the other side of it expands. Mm. 
So what happens when you take money from fire and police, right, to put into potholes and a fire goes up in your neighborhood, right? We need people to understand these decisions so they know it's it's not always black and white. There's a lot of nuance to these decisions. And, and I think our people can handle that level of transparency because I think with the information, they can make their own choices. They can be a more informed, more engaged citizenry, which I think ultimately pays dividends for our local economy. Well, I, I want to say to my audience, um, if, if you have not went over to High Point lately, I'm going to give you at least one reason why you need to go to High Point. They have the best food hall in all of the region. I absolutely love stock and grain. I love all the food um, stalls that are actually participating there. So if you're listening to this and you're looking for some great food, um, make a trip over to High Point. Check out stock and grain. Don't stop there. Park your car. Go walk around a little bit. Go up to Paddle South grab you a beer, walk up and down Main Street. There's some great little small shops down there. Um, but we want to start giving people more reason to also make that trip over to High Point. Uh, Mayor Leg, I have enjoyed this conversation. I, I really love this because you and I didn't have a previous relationship before today. So right along with my audience, I'm learning more about you and your vision. And I will say that I'm very, very impressed. Um, and I'll also say publicly that um, as you continue to, to move forward and make progress, um, I am certainly willing to support you and, um, you know, in, in any capacity that you need. Um, but I, I certainly want to not only congratulate you on an impressive victory, but but also I, I, it sounds like to me you've got some really good ideas and a good vision for the city of High Point. I'm out of time, but real quickly, do you want to let folks know you have a website or you're on Facebook? How can people keep up with what you're doing at High Point? You can find me, Cyril Jefferson, C-Y-R-I-L, last name Jefferson, just like the president or like George and Wheezy which, you know, High Point's moving on up. Uh, Algernon, I want to tell you, thank you as well. Um, for folks who want to know what's going on in the city, City of High Point also does an incredible job on social media, on the website of, of keeping people engaged. And, and if there's one final thought I want to leave people with is this. Our greatest capacity as a people um, happens when we come together. And so everything I've talked about today in terms of our past successes or the future opportunities, none of that happens as any one person. While I'm grateful to be able to, to assume this role come next Monday when we get sworn in, I know that I won't be working by myself. I'm so grateful that we've got a team of people, not only at the city of High Point, but all throughout our community here in this great city, as well as throughout the region, who we get to partner with as we build stronger communities, and build stronger people. Mayor-elect Cyril Jefferson, make sure you keep up with him. A lot of great things going on in High Point, and um, Mayor-elect will get sworn in this upcoming Monday at 5.30, and so I encourage my audience to stay locked in on that. Um, Mayor-elect, thank you for locking in with me. To my audience, as always, thank you for locking in. Make sure you stay tuned to WTOB every Sunday morning. That is where the Locked In Show broadcasts, but if you happen to miss me there, hopefully you are subscribed to the podcast. You can download that on um, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, wherever you like to get your favorite podcast, you can lock in with me there. Until next time, y'all stay locked in. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode on the Triad Podcast Network. Our mission is simple. Provide information, advice, and stories about the people and places that make the North Carolina Triad such a great place to be. You can find us by searching Triad Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much wherever you like to listen. If you like what you heard and want to support the show and those that contribute, we would truly appreciate a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. It helps spread the word along, as do your shares on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Triad Podcast. To get in touch with us, simply email info at triadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. 
This is the Triad Podcast Network.